Anthropologist Jeffrey Gore wrote in an essay that in contemporary culture, death has replaced sex as the new unmentionable. What he's saying is, in other words, the taboo topic of our day is no longer sex, it's death. And I think he's right. Think about it with me. Our society at large has, has replaced belief in a transcendent God with a this is all there is, here and now, materialism. So in a quest to find this world meaning and fulfillment, sex is elevated and death, which is full of unknowns and, and feared, kind of becomes the unmentionable. Historically, though, and in many other cultures today, suffering and death are seen as crucial chapters in our lives and not the last chapter of our lives. But the Western modern material view sees suffering as an interruption and death as the end. And while medical advancement has prolonged life, it hasn't solved death. Our society is the, is the most removed from death of any culture ever. We have a system of sanitizing death, and in so doing, we, we rarely see it and interact with it. Medical progress supports the illusion that death can be put off indefinitely, and yet, everybody still dies. Everybody. The ratio remains one to one. We are batting a thousand as humanity at death. And it's the taboo unmentionable in our post-Christian culture. People are scared of it, caught off guard when it comes, and aren't equipped with the kind of faith that provides a framework of hope and even joy in death. And so at the risk of getting pretty dark here for a bit, I'm going to ask you to linger in the discomfort. We're going to mention, we're going to talk about for a while, the unmentionable of death. So, so we can really be mesmerized anew with the gospel. And we know Good Friday, the significant day, important day, and meaningful service, Good Friday is about the death of Christ but it's ultimately about the death of death. And that has massive implications for us. I want you to turn, if you have a Bible, to Romans chapter five. This Good Friday service is a part of our Jesus Saves series where we've been looking at all these different aspects of salvation and death itself plays a part in our salvation. So we're in Romans chapter 5, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 12. Look at what our text tells us. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Why do we die? We die because we're sinners. But did you catch those first words? It says sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. That's a reference to Adam and what's referred to as original sin. Adam sinned and death followed. With Adam as our representative head, we are all, all born into sin and we all die. In theology, this is often referred to as federal headship. 
Federal headship is a person who, through a covenant relationship, represents others. Now, the result of sin, Paul said, was that physical and spiritual death spread to all people. And while our individualistic context makes it hard for us to see the fairness of original sin, its universal effects are empirically verifiable everywhere we look. Sin is pervasive. We know this. And death is inevitable. We know this. Now, there are actually lots of examples of of federal headship representatives for us in our society today. What's an ambassador? Well, an ambassador serves as the representative for all Canadians in a foreign country. Some of you are a part of unions with your jobs. What's a union rep? Well, the employees give a representative the right to negotiate and sign a contract on their behalf. This is what a lawyer does as well. A defendant enters into a relationship with legal counsel where the lawyer represents the client in court. This is referred to as the power of attorney. They speak on their client's behalf. Now what Paul's doing in Romans 5 is he's going all the way back to Adam, the first man, to show how Adam's story helps us make sense of the world we're living in and our need of Jesus. Spent a lot of time at home this last year. I think we all have more time than usual. So obviously, me and the boys watched all the Star Wars movies. And actually, I've heard Star Wars referred to as the tale of two Skywalkers. The first Skywalker, Anakin, gave into the temptation to the dark side of the force. And death, destruction, and chaos ensued. In contrast, the second Skywalker, Luke, faced the same temptation, but remained faithful and obedient to the Jedi way. Faithful he was. And because of that, because of Luke's faithfulness and obedience, hope, life, and the triumph of good followed. In fact, at the end, Luke was even able to redeem the first Skywalker, his evil father, Anakin. Star Wars creator and writer George Lucas said that the central theme of episodes four to six, those are actually the original three and the only good ones, right? The central theme of those three episodes was the redemption of Anakin by Luke. Similarly, it could be said that the entire storyline of the Bible is about the redemption of the first Adam by the second Adam, Jesus. Now, if Adam's disobedience is our disobedience as our federal head, it's bad news. But then the good news is that if there were an obedient man, a perfect second Adam, then he could be our federal head. If the whole world was put under sin by one man, what if salvation could come through one man also? And that's exactly what we're told Next, look at verse 15. It says, but the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment followed one trespass brought For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because 
of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. I mean, we see this, this theme of a federal head of representatives in other places in scripture as well. Think of David and Goliath. What was going on there? When David fought Goliath, they both fought as representatives of their respective armies and ultimately their respective nations. They fought as substitutes. If your representative won, your whole army won the battle, even though none of them had lifted a finger. That's what Jesus did. He took on our greatest enemies, sin and death. And unlike David, he didn't just risk his life, he gave his life. And in so doing, he defeated sin and death. He took the penalty we deserve for our sins, the punishment of death in our place as our federal head, as our representative. I mean, God has always dealt with humankind through a head, through a representative. The whole story of the human race can be summed up in terms of what's happened because of Adam and what's happened and will happen because of Jesus. It's the whole story of humanity, past, present, and future. And everything depends on our relationship to Adam and our relationship to Jesus. There have only been two heads to the human race, Adam and Jesus, and there will never be another. And every single one of us, every single one of us is either in Adam or in Christ. Every single one of us is either in in Adam or in Christ. Those who are in Christ are not only forgiven, but delivered from the realm of sin and death and of wrath and punishment. When Jesus died on the cross, he took the wrath and punishment upon himself. So we would no longer be under the reign of sin and death, but designated to reign in life. Paul says there's another representative for the human race that would be similar to the first, but only in reverse. The first Adam disobeyed God and selfishly ate from a forbidden tree, bringing a curse on earth. The second Adam obeyed God and sacrificially climbed onto a tree to take the curse upon himself. The first Adam brought death upon the whole human race. The second Adam took death upon himself in order to restore life to all who receive him. Adam was created on the sixth day. Jesus died on the sixth day, bringing an end to the first creation. Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week, showing he was beginning a new creation. When Jesus meets his disciples after the resurrection, he breathes on them his Holy Spirit. What's going on there? He's remaking creation, a new creation. That's what the gospels show us. And that's what Paul is showing us here. Jesus is the second Adam restoring all that the first Adam fractured in the world. Jesus took the punishment of death so that we wouldn't have to. Jesus defeated death so we could be pardoned and covered with his love. And to the degree that we believe, know, and embrace this reality, we're released from the power of death. I want to take a quick caveat here for a moment because if I only kind of show you this one angle of death, I, I, I think I might lead you to think 
um, wrongly about it. So let me just have a quick caveat here. 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us that we are to grieve as those with hope, or we're not to grieve as those without hope. Now what that means is, the first thing it means is that we are to grieve. And so that's what I want you to hear. It's not super spiritual of us to try and be stoic when loved ones die or force ourselves to look only on the bright side. Death is not natural. We see that in our text. Death is not right. Death is a result of sin. Death is a great evil. And we should grieve profoundly and fully when it confronts us. Look at Jesus. He approached the tomb of his friend Lazarus knowing he would raise him. And yet he actually snorts with rage and he weeps with the others who are weeping. But the second thing he says is that, yes, we should grieve, but we shouldn't grieve without hope. See, grief without hope can lead to bitterness. I love what George said in his story. George, thanks for being our, our teacher today. Thank you for showing us how the Christian faith approaches death, how we apply the Christian faith to the death of our loved ones and our own impending deaths. See, we grieve, but not with grief that leads to bitterness, but grief salted with hope. See, what Paul is telling us is that the gospel equips us to be hopeful grievers. Now, so far, this has, I think, been really theological, grand, theological, right? Federal headship. Every single one of us is either in Adam or in Christ. So what does this mean for you and me on this Good Friday? Well, the far-reaching implications of the gospel even change our relationship with death. Pick it up in partway through verse 20 here. Look at what it says. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, what does that look like? Donald Gray Barhouse was the pastor of the historic 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia when his wife died of cancer when she was in her late 30s. It left him with four children all under the age of 12. And when driving with his children to the funeral, a large truck pulled past them in the left lane, casting its shadow over them. And Barnhouse asked his kids in the car, would you rather be run over by the truck or the shadow of the truck? His 11-year-old answered, shadow, of course. Their dad responded, well, that's what happened to your mother. Only the shadow of death has passed over her because death itself ran over Jesus. Only the shadow of death has run over her. Only the shadow of death has passed over her because death itself ran over Jesus. Why do we die? We die because of sin. The sting of death is sin. And yet the poison went into Jesus. There's this story in, in Mark chapter 5, this, this little 12-year-old girl 
died and Jesus goes into the house to see her and he sits by her side. Jesus was facing the most formidable, formidable force that the human race has to face, death. Now note this, taking her by the hand, he lifts her right up through it. See, if we know Jesus, here's what that means. If we know Jesus through grace, nothing can ultimately hurt us. Death itself, when it comes to us, will just be like waking from a nice nap or a good night's sleep. For anyone who trusts in Jesus for salvation, death has been defeated. And so now all death can do, all death can do is make you more happy and loved than you've ever been. I want to tell you seven things that happen to a Christian when they die. I'm just going to list them to you. This is incredible. This is astounding. This is good news. What happens to a Christian at death? First, immediate glory with Jesus. We're going to talk all about that on Sunday. It's the final aspect of our salvation, glorification. Immediate glory with Jesus. Second, immediate freedom from sin. What happens to us at death? Third, immediate residence at home. We are foreigners. We are sojourners in a foreign land. And when we die, we will finally come to the place where we feel truly at home. Fourth, we will experience immediate deliverance from sorrow. Are you burdened? Are you weighed down? When you go to be with Jesus, you will experience immediate deliverance from sorrow. Fifth, immediate fulfillment of joy. Not just you will experience some joy, but the immediate fulfillment of joy. Sixth, immediate rescue from suffering. All suffering will cease. Seventh, immediate hope for eternity. You see why this Friday is good? question for you. Are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Who is your representative, Adam or Jesus? Let's pray and let's thank Jesus for all that he's accomplished for us. Thank you, Jesus, for taking the curse. Thank you, Jesus, for living spotlessly and dying substitutionally and sacrificially. Thank you, Jesus, that the free gift is not like the trespass. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace, for being our representative. Thank you, Jesus, that we can face death, death with hope because you save and you save for all eternity. Jesus, on this Good Friday, we thank you for the cross and we thank you for the death of death. In Jesus' name, amen.